Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by Judd Zolgat of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show. And today we're going to discuss the lead-up to the Super Bowl. It's broken. Uh, we're going to try and find a way to come up with a different approach to the two weeks off that the uh, that the NFL has between the conference championships and the Super Bowl. How a little luck could go a long way for the Minnesota Vikings offensive line. We'll get to the Super Bowl itself between Carolina and Denver talk about the formulas and the different approaches that both of those teams bring. And then we'll get to Johnny Manziel, who looks like he's out of his way in Cleveland and forever. Manziel will be linked to Teddy Bridgewater through the 2014 draft. First of all, Judd. Yes, sir. The Super Bowl is, that is the sporting event. Like, there are no other sporting events in other sports that people point to. Yeah, it's a uh, cultural yeah. event of the year, yes. Yes, and even if you don't like football, it brings people to cities. It, 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 it's its own event outside of the game itself. But now, the first NFL Sunday without football is one of the biggest drags in the Pro Bowl, and it's it's an idea that has just been beaten into the ground and changed to the point of apathy by the fan base, and that's shown through, even though still stellar television ratings, uh, one of the worst of all time for the game itself. And now you've got the Monday after, which is the one of the biggest clown shows in, in Super Bowl Media Day. Judd, how do you fix this lead-up to the Super Bowl? I've got uh, three alternatives, uh, some of which are, are realistic, Andrew, and some of which are not. My number one thing would be, I would el- eliminate the Pro Bowl altogether, and I would not have football played on that day. If anything, in my opinion, yes, I believe that the Pro Bowl this year got a five rating on ESPN, and that's okay. I believe it's the lowest ever. But it was the first time that the NBA All Star game. My goal would be to better. eliminate it altogether. That's yeah. not going to happen, probably. I believe what I suggested on uh, Pro Podcast last week is the idea of a futures game of some sort send first- and second-year players to Hawaii to play in a game in which I think that they would be engaged a little bit. I mean, the problem, again, and this came up about uh, three years ago or four, four years back where the points went off the board is Goodell came back and said, if we can't find a way to make this more like a real football game, we're going to get rid of it. And then the next year they came up with some different philosophies for it, and it got a little bit better. Well, if you watched it on Sunday at all, which you did not, what I it's just a joke. It's a complete joke. So... I would love to see them abolish the game. 
They're not going to do that. My number two idea would be a futures game. And what I would really love to see, and what's never going to happen in a thousand years, is you play the Super Bowl one week after the conference title games. No week off. They'll never do that. And it's been that. It has been that way in the past a few times here and there. I don't foresee that ever happening again because they like the buildup and they like the week off, and then the teams fly the following Sunday to the site of the Super Bowl. But um, if I had the perfect world, perfect world, you abolish the Pro Bowl altogether, you don't do anything, and you just sit there for that one week and you go conference championship games to Super Bowl, and we end the season a week earlier with the biggest game, and we don't have essentially what we have this week, which is build up, build up, build up, and by the time the game gets here, you're like, just play the darn thing. <laughs> See, I think I unfairly positioned you to answer a question that I don't really have an answer for myself because I don't think – I think the entire system is is flawed to a point to where, look, there is no way – you're not going to be able to turn the Pro Bowl into an NBA-style kind of – because the NBA does it in days. It's a weekend. It's it's all-star weekend. Just like and hockey does. Yes, yes and there's no – you would never, ever get the NFL to go along with that, specifically the players, the players' union, because it's such a grueling season. And you're not right. doing it in the middle of the season. Uh, you can't do it in the middle of the season because of the risk that it would come along with it. Right. And you're not going to do it afterward because, as you're already seeing with the Pro Bowl, many, many, many guys ha- want nothing to do with it, especially veterans who have been there, done that. Uh, after a season, they just want to go home, be with their families, take time off. They sure. don't want to do well, that. And- so my point is, is there, I don't think there's a way. The Futures game's a good idea because I think young people like a Teddy Bridgewater, Anthony Barr, they yeah. would love the chance to do that. And they and, go. And then once they're year four or five, obviously they don't. Uh, that's a great example, but I don't think you'd ever be able to create my initial thinking was why not create some kind of a bigger weekend for it where you get more players involved, more former players involved. Uh, and I think you could maybe massage a way to do that, but it, there's just there's no way you could get it like the other sports. So the NFL is a unique problem with that, I think. Yeah, and the thing, too, is where I agree with you completely, the NFL and football itself, it doesn't lend itself to a exhibition all-star type game. No, I mean, everything all. else, you know, you play a baseball game, it's baseball, right? Yep. Hockey, hockey's different, but you can get away with it. People don't care all, all that much. Basketball, same thing. The problem with football is if you don't want to hit somebody, that's the point of the whole game. You know, (laughs) hockey you can have, and and I am not saying that the hockey all-star game is good, but you can have guys skate around and not check, and it's a bit of a joke, but it's not awful like it is in football. Because in football, the goal is to hit. That's your goal is to hit people, and you don't want to hit people. But even in hockey, isn't that why they changed it to more of a three-on-three style? Because the scoring was too high. Exactly. Exactly. And then you don't have that kind of a natural hockey feel to it. You You can't do that to football. You can't make it a seven-on-seven passing. I mean, I guess you could. but I don't blame players who say, I just played a whole season long. It's completely grueling. You know, we've seen study after study after study now about what the game of football played takes a toll on a person and so these guys say i'm done i don't want to play i think what you do though is i really would like to see them find a way name the pro bowl teams so it triggers bonuses in in contract clauses i'm fine with that but don't play this game just don't play this game and the futures game is my one idea for if you tell young players hey here's a free trip to hawaii we'll take care of all expenses at least that might lend itself to a decent game but you know what if i am a team executive I don't want that game. I don't want any form of an all-star game. It doesn't benefit me to have Bridgewater go play. If I'm the Vikings, it doesn't. No. 
outside of brand recognition, outside of name recognition. Sure, but yeah, I mean, the, it, doesn't, the, if, it doesn't help me. No, and, and him getting hurt, obviously, is the big caveat to anybody attending an all-star game in the NFL. But to me, too, it's, it's more about the NFL in the Pro Bowl, its demise, or what we're seeing, at least in the TV ratings, it doesn't garner the type of noise we're at least making. It's just this is what the NFL is. Now you've got to find ways to fill space and talk about things. And the Pro Bowl is something right now where it's a topic, but it's also trickling down to where I was talking to one of the local Associated Press writers, and he was saying, look, I'm not even going to keep putting, like, for instance, you write a story about Adrian Peterson. You say six-time Pro Bowl or Adrian. They're not writing that anymore because of the joke the game has become. That's right, all you, pro teams. You have to stick with all pro because that's that. the only thing that's limited to uh, the control of, what was it, 50 uh, national media members that vote right. uh, on who the top NFL team would be uh, out of everybody. Uh, but that's how it resonates. That's how the Pro Bowl kind of dwindling down resonates, at least in the coverage of itself and in the respect of, of uh, players, which is what people, which is what players excuse me care about most is the respect of their peers but keep in mind we're talking about a league that is moving everything to prime time the dra- the schedules this are now day now in yeah, prime time night. yeah oh we we've taken media day which used to be so so your daily newspaper people could talk to players during the afternoon and then write stories it's now at night on deadline on national tv basically just, just for tv yes just so we're so we're talking about a league it, it's interesting because there's so many uh, projections, Andrew, about the demise of the league and concussions and kids not playing, and all those things are concerns. But right now, everything they turn touches the goal, basically. Yeah. Everything they turn. I, I told Phil today, I am waiting for the NFL to announce that it's moving one night of the combine to prime time. Is it Pavlov's dogs, though? Is it not where the bell rings and your mouth salivates? Meaning, like, oh, my goodness, yes. the NFL's on TV, I have to watch it. But like, they know that. You are conditioned, and so you're right, though. But at some point, there has to be a, a tipping point, you know, in a negative sense. There has to be something where it just, it, like the Pro Bowl now, where it is plummeted. Don't ever underestimate the greed of these people, though. <laughs> the greed is the but greed. But it's the fan base, though. It's, it's the people right. watching it. If nobody watched it, they wouldn't do it. Right, but they do watch it. And, yeah. and a five is still really, really good in 2016. Yes, absolutely. And, but that's the scary thing. I'm, look at the amount. I'm telling you, look at the amount of NFL-related non-events now in prime time. Schedule release is in prime time. The draft, the no. first night. The, the schedule is release is time. actually now like five different parts. Sa- yeah, and Saturday, <laughs> Saturday they went to this a few years back. They now have the award show. It's oh, in prime time. God, Think man. about the amount of the, no football being played. Nothing more than football people involved that this league has moved to prime time. I'm telling you, I am waiting for them to move one night of the combine to find a night where they can show you the 40-yard dash and the passing skills when, when they have guys yep. you know, passing shorts. I'm waiting for them to say, okay, we're going to move one night of the combine, Andrew, to prime oh, time, and it's up for auction. They, <laughs> NBC and CBS just went in on a bigger Thursday night package. Yep. That will be simulcast on the league's network because NBC sees the value in that Thursday night package. Look at those games. They're garbage. The NFL basically is selling you garbage on Thursday nights, and not only are people not saying, I won't watch it, you've got two networks now that were vying to carry it because they are so starved for what the NFL brings them. And no other sport could get away with that. Not even close. Especially for the product that's being put out there. Not you would never close. never see a Sixers Celtics game broadcast I'm, on prime time. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, we are we are uh, five to ten years away from some type of Tuesday night football package. Oh boy. I really believe that. Well let's change gears a little bit, talk a little bit more Viking centric after that. Uh 
optimistic opening. Let's let's get a little bit optimistic about the Vikings, Judd, and how this offensive line really, to me, is the question mark of the entire offseason. Sure. Um, we we kind of we've touched on it before on the broader scope of the entire uh, Vikings offense is going to be how they find the balance between Adrian and Teddy. But really, that offensive line was one of their main problems last year for an offense that ranked 29th overall. How are they going to improve that? Uh, to me, it's going to be, I think, a little bit of luck can go a long way toward helping this group, specifically when we're talking about two really bad injuries to Phil Lodeholt and John Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Now, we've gone over this a lot, obviously. Lodeholt coming back from the Achilles tear for a 345-pound man is is nothing to sneeze at. And then John Sullivan, a, a 30-year-old NFL player coming off multiple back surgeries, the first of his career. How are they going to be able to come off that? Well, a little bit of luck, I think, would help the Vikings in being able to patch what currently looks like an obliterated offensive line. Matt Khalil's a giant question mark at left tackle. They can afford to, and they probably will, pay him that hefty fifth-year option just to get another long look at him before moving forward. Uh, Brandon Fusco was a mess at left guard. Mike Harris, your right guard from last year, is uh, free agent now. And then, obviously, center and right tackle are the biggest question marks moving forward. Right. If they can solidify those two spots, if Sullivan or Lodeholt can come back to form or even close to form and they can work it out with the contracts, Judd, this offensive line can go back to being formidable after a year in which it was one of the worst in the league. And to me, this starts with, with Sullivan at center. Because we don't know, is he coming back? Is he going to have to retire? He's, what, 31 years old or so? I believe he turned 30 in August. So he's no kid with a back problem. No. Uh, The right tackle position intrigues me based on this. Lodehold, I think, can come back. But do they try and get him to get that uh, that salary for 2016 down? Because that's going to be pretty high. Right now, his his cap of 7.75 million is the second highest among all right tackles in the NFL. Yeah. So yeah, that's one where you look at it and you go, that's just common sense down. wise, it's got to come down. Yeah. When I look at what the Vikings are going to do draft wise with that 23rd pick right now, I'm not going to be surprised one bit if that is used on an offensive lineman of some sort. I really think for a while I thought safety. I think Zimmer thinks he can plug that spot. I think there's no question that, that they would like to improve it, and they yeah, might I've be heard, able to. I've heard they like Sandejo more than we think. They yeah, <laughs> but and I think that. Zimmer. I really think at that spot, Zimmer's pretty sure that his uh, his philosophical approach, his scheme, can work. And look, they finished fifth in points yeah. with Sandejo. Exactly. Yeah. So the more I think about it, when you examine the amount of question marks there on that line, I am really going to be. I won't be surprised. I should say if they use the first round pick on someone there the question then becomes where and the question also becomes do you take a tackle with the ability to play that guy at right tackle and then transition possibly after 2016 and 2017 to left tackle the scariest part of all that for the vikings is that they are entering this really blindfolded because they haven't seen john sullivan or phil lodel on the field since august and now you have to make these decisions moving forward basically you're saying are you going to make a calculated risk uh, roll the dice and hope that let's say they restructure Lodeholt's contract. Then that means you're taking less of a risk and bringing him back. But let's say you just bring John Sullivan back on what he is. You're rolling the dice then and thinking, well, if we have to pull the parachute, which is moving Joe Berger back to center, then we right. got to do it. And that's something where you are rolling the dice there because if you keep those guys, then are you limited in what you chase after in free agency or the draft? I mean, that's something where they have to look long term. And I don't think the draft would be impacted as much. It'd be more so their free agency approach because sure. let's say they can't come to an agreement with Lodeholt and they cut him, well, then you got to find a right tackle because T.J. Clemmings did not show you enough what if you, last year. But that, that's what I'm saying. What if you potentially draft a right tackle and then have the option in 2017 if Khalil, if you give Khalil 
the extension for one year, he walks away if that right tackle can transition to left tackle. That's yeah, that's, That could be an option. That's certainly an option as well. And Mike Harris, like I said, who started at right guard, is now a free agent, but he's got experience at tackle as well. I think i bring him back. So I would bring him back, and if Lodeholt, or excuse me, if Sullivan can come back and return to form at center, you've got a right guard in Joe Berger who's going to be 34 in May. Listen, he, they're squeezing the last bit of football out of this guy. Yeah, but he's very critical to what they need to do to holding that together if mm-hmm. they move these pieces around. Fortunately for them, they have that kind of versatility with guys being able to play guard and center, and you can move some people around. But, man, if they could bring back either of those guys and get them any close to where they were at, uh, it, it, the flip side is if they don't, this is going to be a massive rebuilding project if, need, if, if neither of them can come back the way they were. So what, what's your guess at center? Do you, it's, to me, that's the most dangerous one because this, this is a 30-year-old with a back problem. I disagree with you, center, though. That really worries me. I disagree with you, though, and I think right tackle is the more dangerous ground right now because load hold is coming off multiple season-ending injuries. I think individually, you're right, Sullivan has a bigger hill to climb. But you have a safety net in Joe Berger. There is no safety net at right tackle. Well, that's you what, just saw what it is. That's what I'm Collins. saying is, is to me, that becomes a very viable. You, you, go, you go to Phil, basically, when the new league year starts in early March, and you say, yeah. okay, let's restructure. And if he says no, he's gone. So then I think you set your sights on drafting a right tackle at that point. Because okay, I see what you're saying. You, yeah, yeah, and because I, I bring back Harris for sure at right guard. Yep. Fusco comes back at left guard, and you hold your breath and hope that he improves, especially after an offseason of being healthy this time around. Khalil's going to come back. I see no way that, that they don't exercise that extension, right? So he comes back, but you then build yourself. If you draft a right tackle, you got a, a rookie right tackle for 2016, which wouldn't be the end of the world. But if that guy is versatile enough to move to left tackle and you feel that after 2016 you have to cut bait on Khalil, that guy can transition. So the Sullivan thing, though, it's just if John Sullivan's healthy and comes back, he's so key to that line potentially because he does so many things uh, so well, which is not a knock on Berger. It's just that Sullivan's such a smart player. If he can't come back, though, or tries to, I mean, this might be a situation with Sullivan where you get him to training camp and he says, I can't go. Because you just don't know. A Absolutely. Back can give that's out. just it. You're rolling the dice on that. You don't know. And neither does Sullivan, neither does Lowell. Yeah. The players themselves, and that's not his the fault. coaches, he just doesn't. No, they just, these kind of injuries, too, and they're critical. It's not like you're coming back from a torn peck, which both Fusco and Lowell were exactly. last year. That is a lot easier to return from than, like I said, an Achilles injury to a 30, 345 pound man and multiple back surgeries for a center. That's, if they flare up, you're, they're basically done. Hey, this is Andrew Kramer with the Purple Podcast. I just want to thank you guys for checking us out every week. And if you like the podcast, please go check us out on iTunes. Leave a review. Four or five stars would be appreciated. But if you don't like Derek Wetmore's hot football takes or you think Judd Zolgad's a little too negative, you can go ahead and give us a one-star rating if you feel so inclined. But those reviews are going to help us spread the word of the Purple Podcast, the best Minnesota Vikings analysis in town. Now, back to the podcast. Moving forward now, let's transition to the Super Bowl, where the Denver Broncos and Carolina Panthers will kick off on Sunday in San Francisco. Uh, I still can't believe they got that stadium to host a Super Bowl. Santa but that, Clara, baby. That is the NFL's reward for holding ground. your city hostage to get a new you? stadium. Uh, yeah, but not, I'm a little farther south. Okay. I was in the L.A. area, so more so where the Inglewood well, Stadium is going to go. For the, so you're uh, stealing teams. Uh, you're a carpet yes, bagger. absolutely. You're stealing I, the Rams. You're trying to get the Chargers. Did, you'll take the Raiders if you can't get them. Well, now Las Vegas is the new threat city. L.A. can't be the That's new a threat whole city. Conversation. <laughs> Las Vegas. Las Vegas getting a National Football League team 
will be that'd be a that would be incredible of, story. It'd be like the end of days, wouldn't it? I mean, could you imagine? Like they would it's have a perfect to be, fit for Vegas, but it really is. Would the league allow it? They claim that it's not off limits, but man, would that be full of potential pitfalls? Absolutely. It might be worth it, but it'd be a real. It'd be very interesting. It would be a new kind of clown show. I'd be looking forward to see that. But Judd, the Super Bowl that is happening, yes, in Santa Clara, where we opened, uh, where the Vikings opened the regular season. The Carolina Panthers and, and Denver Broncos will square off. Judd, who do you think has the upper hand? And I think this is obvious in that everybody's been giving the Carolina Panthers the nod. Um, but I don't think it's as obvious as people like to believe. And I don't think either, before I let you answer, I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to the 2000, what was it, 13 blowout? Oh, the Seattle? Yeah, where Seattle just Denver blowout. No, I agree with that. I like Carolina, uh, but I think it's a very close game. I mean, Denver's defense is... Super. It's really, really good. I think it's one of the best of all time. So do I, I really so, so the question becomes, do I see Carolina getting off to a quick start and blowing out the Broncos in the first half? Absolutely not. I, I think it's a three-point game. Uh, and I guess the X factor is this. What can Peyton do? And essentially, the bigger question becomes, what can the Broncos offense do against a good Carolina defense? Uh, because I think it'd be foolish to say they can't they can't move the ball. Peyton Manning, the one thing he did in the AFC Championship game that I thought was impressive was he really played like a guy who understood what he couldn't do. And the nice thing for him is he's got a defense that can hold him in games. That defense should hold the Broncos in that game. That being said, if you put a gun to my head right now, I would say Carolina by three, two, or three points. But I think it's going to be a close game and a good game. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a attractive game. I think if you sit down thinking to yourself, oh, boy, it's going to be a fun football game to watch, I think it will be if you enjoy defense. But there were a lot of people, or I got a few tweets during the Patriots-Broncos game saying, what about this game? Because I'm, I'm the guy who always says that, Every Sunday, there's a lot of crap being you know, shown to us, and we're like, oh, football, football, football. But I thought the AFC Championship game was a fun game to watch. I didn't think it was awful football. I thought the defenses were really good. And the Broncos' defense, the Broncos are not going to win a game in a pretty fashion. But right now, I would say Carolina by three. Well, fortunately, I don't have a gun to your head. I don't have a gun here at all. This is a tough game. So I prefer you <laughs> leave the gun at home. I, I have to agree with you in the sense that I think Carolina will come out on top because they have the best player in football right now, who is Cam Newton. Uh, but at the same time, you look at this, and this is an interesting case study in philosophies and ways you build teams, or at least ways that NFL teams succeed. Uh, when you look at it, you can say, yeah, both defenses are great, which is true. And generally, that's true for any team that gets to the uh, Super Bowl to reach that point. But at the same time, Peyton Manning is no Cam Newton. Oh. Cam Newton is the best quarterback right now playing, and I think that's that's the reason why he's in the Super Bowl. I don't think Carolina's defense either is as good as people give it credit for. I, I think if you look at it, Carolina has given up some big leads, and that's because of their defense, just kind of uh, letting go, doing whatever. They well, Against Seattle, they fell asleep in the playoffs. In the Giants game, the remember half. when Odell Beckham got suspended for the Vikings game yep. the following week? They gave up a giant lead and barely hung on to win that one. Yep. Uh, I think Denver's defense is all-world. I think it's one of the best that we've seen, at least in modern football, and I think that's the only reason, and when you look at the reason that they're there, because they made quarterback changes. Peyton Manning clearly isn't what he used to be. But when you look at the philosophies now built on this, Judd, we like to compare the Vikings to the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the Vikings' defense is nowhere near where Denver's is right now, but that's obviously what Mike Zimmer's trying to build it up to be. And when you hear about people, one, the one thing I got out of the Super Bowl media day, or opening night, whatever they call it, 
uh, I went back on Twitter just searching through some highlights, and, and a lot of people, a lot of Broncos players will say the reason they love Wade Phillips so much is because he schemes to his players. Mm-hmm. That's something you hear a lot in Minnesota about Mike Zimmer. Correct. And that is something that I think all great defensive minds have to do, great coaches in general, offense or defense. So when you look at these two teams, I think the Vikings are a lot more like the Broncos, obviously, because of the way they're built. And I just don't think Carolina's defense is as good as people say it is, especially if you don't have Thomas Davis, who's one of the best linebackers in football. Who's going to try and play supposedly with, with a broken arm. And Jared Allen, the old Viking uh, right. wrangler, is is going to try to play on a broken foot as but well. But this is what the Viking, the, where I think the Vikings defense and Denver defense become comparable to, though, is it really starts with scheme, right? I mean, you've got some really nice... Players, don't get me wrong. And obviously, they're some, different. Three, four, four, three. Yeah. But it, but you've got but you also have two guys in Zimmer and Phillips who have re- at the beginning of the day they have really good systems that work. And then, as you said, you plug players into it. And then what's smart is you plug players in and say, okay, how how are these chess pieces essentially? Yep. How do they fit? So you don't end up necessarily with one with one superstar all the time. You end up with a defense that's solid. I mean. The Denver Broncos, in the course of the AFC Championship game, Andrew, lost both their safeties. They lost both their safeties, yep. and they played with two backups and still won. Against and they're going to be playing, I think, with Patriots at least one Brady. backup. Yeah, yeah. Yep. so that's impressive. Yep. But I do think when, when you're looking at this, and I told you last year at this time that I really thought the blueprint that the Vikings had looked at and said, let's just try and copy it, was Seattle. And I still believe that. Now, Seattle's evolved and changed itself by now. But when we were talking about this a year ago, I really saw Seattle as the type of team that, that the Vikings said, okay, we've got some very good players on defense. We have a very good defensive system in place and an offense that can run the ball and pass the ball. Now, now Wilson, in my opinion, in 2015 evolved from a good quarterback to a star. But I think if we go back one year, I really still think the blueprint that the Vikings looked at was Seattle. Let's end it with our favorite topic, and Johnny Manziel. He's everybody's favorite topic, right? Oh, could, could have been a purple. Cordero was up there trying to get the fans all riled up because Johnny Manziel was still there at what the Vikings had traded back to, was it nine that they took Anthony yes. Barr with? Yep. Yeah, so I, I still to this day, I can't get my head around. I know the Vikings might have been intrigued by him, but I would love for someone to come clean and say, we either really considered trying to trade up to get him, which was reported that they did Well, Ed Werder had come out, I believe, after the fact. I think it was Ed Werder. Glazer did, I think, for sure. Somebody had come out after the fact and said that Johnny Manziel was on top of their board ahead of Bridgewater. But can you imagine the swing and a miss that that would have been after his latest weekend incidents in which, what, a helicopter was sent out to While look for him. Bridgewater, as an alternate, was in the Pro Bowl. Helicopters were searching for Johnny Manziel. Yeah, so this would have been, and if they, if the Vikings had made this mistake, you'd be looking at Rick Spielman, two huge swings and misses. You know, Bridgewater, we could still be patient with, and I think, I think in defense of him, we should be. Absolutely, he's just, he's yeah. a developing quarterback. You can say what you want about him right now, but you might be wrong, good or bad. When it comes to Manziel. As far as I can tell, it's over now. I mean, this is a guy who, who clearly a year ago got checked into rehab by somebody, not him, you know, because he went for 90 days, three months. But clearly that was not his idea. And he's Ryan Leaf now. He's Arch Leister. He is on, he is on pace to be a complete train wreck of a human being. And that's the, yeah, that's the sad part is that this is more than just a failure as a football player. And more often it does come along with that when you talk about guys like Vince Young, uh, Ryan Leaf. A lot of times it is more than just what is physically wrong. It's also the fact that these guys mentally cannot handle it or mm-hmm. are not in it. 
and that's that's clearly the case for Johnny Manziel. But man, you're right. Would that have been quite the whiff? And the Vikings dodged the bullet there. And did they dodge it, or did Cleveland step in front of it? <laughs> I think Cleveland, Cleveland might have just dove in front of Cleveland that one. Cleveland is always more than willing to take a bullet for you. Let's put it that way. The and Cleveland the Browns and Detroit, Detroit and Cleveland are always more than willing to say, "How can we take the bullet for you?" People always talk about too, like, "Oh, look at Seattle, like picking up the Vikings scraps, or your Seattle being the Vikings West, whatever." And but really, when you look at the Browns, the Browns have saved the Vikings. Not necessarily saved, but at least been swindled or saved the Vikings on multiple occasions. When you look at the Khalil thing, trading back for them to trade up to get Trent Richardson. Um, Anthony Barr, trading back so they could trade up to get Justin Gilbert, the corner who still hasn't done anything. Who's also had maturity issues. And then the Browns, obviously, I believe they traded up, didn't they, to get Manziel? Well, supposedly the story, if you believe a certain set of stories, there was a story that the Vikings... I think we're trying to trade with Philadelphia to move up to take Manziel, and then Cleveland came with a stronger offer. That's and I right. believe the trade was Cleveland with Philadelphia for like the 22nd or 23rd pick to get Johnny Manziel. Yeah. So, yes, the Cleveland Browns very well might have saved the Vikings' bacon. I still I struggle, though. I really do. I struggle with a lot of if you were sold on Bridgewater that you would then be saying, but we also like Manziel. And you you mean because of the differences in personality? Yes. Is and that tell what you're me this, too, though. How on earth, if you're the Vikings, the Vikings claim, and I'm sure that's true, that they do all of this work. They bring in psychologists to the combine to talk to players. They basically hire PIs, it sounds like, to yeah. vet players to go you know, examine. The, how on earth could you get bamboozled by, by Manziel and his people? It, was, it had to be so obvious before he got drafted that he had a drinking problem. And a maturity problem. Is it, though? I'm going to play devil's advocate here because as well, somebody who's currently around the age of just got out of college or around that age, but if I, I don't think it's that obvious to somebody. Like in your shoes, if you saw somebody who was that young, no, you just think, okay, it's a college thing. No, but like, I'm it's saying, not that obvious. No, but I'm know. saying the Vikings supposedly basically spy on people. Teams supposedly well, team. go spy on yeah. people. Yep. That's what I'm saying. No, if, if it's just Rick Spielman sitting there talking to Manziel, I see how you can get fooled by that. But I'm just saying with all the due diligence that teams do, I find it hard to believe that the Vikings were sold on Bridgewater because of his maturity and his approach, but then didn't find out, okay, Johnny Manziel might have some talent, but he is a complete wild card. I could see easily, easily how a team would like Johnny Manziel, the player, over any other quarterback in that class, and at the same time think, okay, we, we could be the franchise that puts up with his warts or whatever. But that, there's a reason why he slid down to 22nd well, or whatever exactly. it was, and the Browns had to jump up to get him. Exactly. I just I think it, it is very difficult, too. And how often do you think you hear the truth from people? Like, let's say you go to Texas Tech, and let's say you're talking to his former trainer or maybe a, a, a professor or somebody like that who could at least shed some light on him as a person. Yeah. How often do you think you hear the full truth on somebody who wants to see no, their you got to go follow him. That's, that's what I'm saying, though, to see if their boy does well. Like, do you, do, They're probably going to lie and say, oh, no, no, he's fine. Do you remember like, the it's... story? I want to say, and I forget when this happened, but I want to say, who's the kid from Jacksonville, the wide receiver who was so highly claimed? Who's oh, completely Blackman. Fl- uh, flamed Justin out. Blackman, right? There was a sto- wasn't there a story, though, about somebody, there was a scout or something, where the, the team sent, basically they knew the bar, they found the bar that the kid hung out at, and they went and had him, had the scout yeah. go sit on a stool and just sit, observe what he does. Does, and he came back and said, this is nothing but trouble. I mean, you've got to follow Manziel. I'm saying, yeah. that's what I'm saying. If I'm going to draft a quarterback. Especially a quarterback. If I'm going to draft yeah. a quarterback, yeah. I'm going to tail him. I'm going to go. I'm seriously, I'm going to have someone tailing him. I'm going to pry into his life so that by the time I draft him, I know this kid can either handle it or he is 
drinking all the time. So if you know that in less than two years, a helicopter will be searching for his well, whereabouts. How do you not figure? Uh, this goes back to my question, but how do you not deduct or figure out that he's spending all this time in Vegas, which he was always doing? Billy. Yes. Blonde Billy. Um, there are certainly things to laugh about, but before the entire we go, situation Calvin is Johnson, sad. will he stay retired? And what does this do? Because the way I see it, this division is now back to Minnesota, Green Bay, Chicago emerging again. John Fox is a pretty good coach. I'm not saying Chicago's there, but I'm saying they're going to work their way back in eventually. And then, as far as I can tell, Detroit's back to being Detroit, man. Detroit's back to being that fourth team that you can just sort of look at and wave at, and once in a while they'll win seven games again. Boy, Mike Zimmer stocked up on corners right as all the wide receivers were leaving the party. That's what I see. That's a great point. That's what I see. I I see it, which is fine, though. That's good. That's a good problem to have in that in the NFL, no matter who you play. You're right. You are going to need great corners in this league. That's clearly the case, no matter who it is. But Mike Zimmer, pointing to the drafting Trey Waynes, was always saying, yeah, look around this division to deal with the Calvin Johnsons, the, Z- the Jordy Nelsons, the Brandon Marshalls, or, you know, it would have been heading up to the draft before they traded Marshall. Yeah, we need to have bigger guys. We need to have bigger corners. And now all of a sudden, Marshall's gone. He's scoring 14 touchdowns for the Jets a year. Um, Calvin Johnson's going to retire. I think Calvin Johnson. Jeffrey might leave Chicago, right? He's a free agent. Jeffrey's a free agent. So he might uh, be gone. Kevin White was their young draft pick. Who, who knows what they have in him? But I, to answer your question, I think Calvin Johnson stays retired because what are they going to do to try to bring him back? He's already one of the highest paid receivers in the league. Uh, they would have to convince him that somehow to buy into the rebuilding process that they're doing right now with Jim Caldwell still being head coach, uh, with a new offensive coordinator, obviously, and, and I believe it's Mr. Jim Bob Cooter. Uh, you've got all these different pieces that I just don't know how you convince him to come back. With that being said, the NFC North is now pretty barren when it comes to receivers. Well, Jordan Nelson will be back in Green Bay next season, yeah. which and Coming which off will an help them, which yeah. will help them a lot because that's going to that should you would think loosen things up a little bit for Randall Cobb next season. So Green Bay we showed he's nothing but a number two, right? But yeah. Green, but Green Bay, Green Bay with Nelson back and Rodgers throwing to him could be formidable again. Yep. Chicago, you but have Chicago's no idea. Chicago's not. I don't. And think Detroit's it is. really not. I mean, what and does Detroit have? Golden now? Tate and Corey Fuller, and they've lost. Yeah. They've lost that defense basically. Yep. I mean, Detroit. Detroit is back to, Detroit's ba- to square back one. Really, Jim Caldwell lasts. You know, he's come back for 2016, but that's what he's going to last. He's going to last 2016, and they're going to make a coaching change. And the dysfunction of that franchise is going to continue, even though a couple of years ago it looked like they finally might have something. See, you throw yeah, you throw the Bears in there. I would almost just say it's the Vikings and Packers. Oh, I, I think, mean, and, and we're saying this in February, but, but, but don't you think the Bears? I'm I'm saying for two for 2017, for instance. Yeah, we're going like to get John back Fox. into a potential mix. Of the Bears being... But if they're rebuilding a quarterback, not necessarily. You know what I mean? If they hit the eject button on Jay Cutler, which I believe they can do soon, if not this this year, next year, I mean, it. I don't know. That's a whole process. But you have a very good point. The Vikings were drafting all, all these corners, which is going to help against the Packers for sure. But for a while there, you were looking at those tall wide receivers in Chicago. Yeah. You're looking at Calvin Johnson. You, you were looking at what Green Bay had, and now you're basically down to potentially Green Bay. But now you should easily be able to shut down Corey Fuller. <laughs> well, and you know what? In, in this league, in this league now, yeah. I am all for cornerbacks. If you can get you good cornerbacks, them. I don't care because you're going to play. You're playing in a league that's geared towards the success of the passing game. Although that position almost has shown too it's almost a little like receiver you can get a chris harris yeah, randomly you know, off the you can get a malcolm butler i disagreed with you completely a year ago but you're right the more i the more i look now richard sherman josh norman josh norman Where did josh norman you look up from? these kids yeah. and but okay but here's my question on this even richard sherman wasn't sherman a third yeah. round pick or fifth or something fifth like that. i think yeah. but here, here's my question on on this 
a good cornerback is so valuable, so valuable. How are you not finding, identifying the guys who are who are going to be that good? I mean, Josh Robinson went in the third. The Vikings. I always complained because I always said uh, during the Childress and then into uh, that, yes, Frazier regime, that they would wait and that Rick him, was always yeah. that Rick Spielman was always trying to get a cornerback in the third round, and you had Marcus McCauley and Asher Allen, Josh Robinson. And I always said, you got if you really believe in one, take them in, in the first round. But you're right. When I look around the league now, you are seeing some of these standout corners. They're not going in the third round. They're going later than that sometimes. And you would think that, if anything, for all the work these teams do, trying to Draft's identify. Not a science. No, it's, it's not a science. It's not even close. But nope. quarterback, to me, there is defensively, with the passing league that this has become, a valuable corner is off the charts, Yeah, right? there's like edge rusher and corner. Those are like your two that if but you're going to start a defense. But it's amazing yeah. when you consider the time and effort yeah. teams devote to the draft, yeah. how little of a science it really is. Well, hey, didn't, uh, going back to Manziel before we close it, didn't the Browns pay like $100,000 on something that told them to take Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater? Yes, and they ignored And then it. there's a story about how a homeless man told them to take, told the owner, Haslam or somebody, to take Johnny Manziel. John, yes, that's the story. took Johnny Manziel. Yeah. And that's, that's what ha- and that's what happens that's when your how you owner screw gets involved. Your entire draft process. That's what that's happens. That's how you do it. <laughs> I will I will give the Vikings this. The Vikings might sabotage themselves at times, but I do believe that Ziggy Wilf doesn't get involved. Yeah, which is something that many but, I mean, owners. I think Ziggy was probably with. sitting yep. there the night of the draft thinking it'd be awesome to get Manzel and let's investigate that. But the difference is he might think that, and he even might mention it, but I think he defers to his people where Jimmy Haslam says, oh, no, 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 do what I say. Let's and, take it. And, and he was even, no, 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 the GM, Farmer, was even, like, fine for texting coaches on the sidelines and circumventing the head coach. So it, it goes from top to bottom. You're and right. you got to have Mike Zimmer, Spielman. Everybody Wills. got fired. Yeah, yes. you got to have all, all right. those guys on the That's same enough page. That's enough for us. Just like Judd and I are sometimes on the same page when we do this podcast, I want to thank you guys for checking out another episode. Please check us out on Podcast One, SoundCloud, and 1500ESPN.com.